Dustin Neer didn't own a motorcycle and had absolutely no interest in travel whatsoever of any kind. He never did. He says it just didn't appeal to him. But one day a good friend gives him an old Suzuki motorcycle, a DR650, and that DR650 changed everything for Dustin, sending him to places that he'd never even heard of before he got this bike. It starts with day rides, and then he slowly progressed into longer and longer trips until one day he rides to Alaska and then decides to just keep going. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Payne. Bill Bragoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. I'm Marissa Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Yeah, hi, I'm Dustin Neer. Um, I'm from Loveland, Colorado, United States, and I'm an adventure rider and kind of an outdoor enthusiast. And I paint uh, classic cars to try to fund all my interests and live the life I want to live. Dustin, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. Really glad to be here. You paint classic cars. How do you get a job doing that? <laughs> it was it was my dream job. Um, I went to I went to school for it in Wyoming. So, as far as riding motorcycles, when did you get on your first bike? I think I really got on my first bike, um, and when I was about fifteen, I actually took a rider's uh, training safety course. I think I was 14 or 15. There's a program uh, in Minnesota where I grew up where you could get your permit um, at that age and actually ride uh, before you could get your regular vehicle driver's license as long as you were riding with someone else that had a license. So you just need another motorcycle rider fully licensed to ride with you? Correct, yeah. You went on, I assume you got your, your car driver's license. You mentioned about going through for classic car training, restoration training. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Almost right out of school, I, I got a job in a, a restoration and hot rod shop, actually right here in Loveland. And I just jumped into that. And yeah, I was just into the car scene. That's your dream job. It was my dream job. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you're, you're in your dream job. Life is ticking along. I assume at this point, some point along here, you meet a woman. Can you talk about that? Not yeah. so much the meeting of yeah. the woman, I mean, but I mean that, that part of your life. Sure. Um, you know, I was kind of just, uh, you know, going through the paces that I thought I was supposed to go through. I think looking back, um, I, I think of it as kind of a Midwest U.S. Uh, ideology of 
how you go through life. You know, you graduate high school, you go to school, you get a job, you buy a house, you get married, you know, you just go through the steps. And I was doing those things. Um, I got married in 2010. I actually had bought a house shortly before that. And yeah, just doing life how, how I thought you were supposed to do life, you know, and I thought I was happy at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. To me, it sounds great. And, but you, at that point, you're, you're settled in, you've got something happening in your life. You've got hobbies going on. That's going to keep you sort of in that, that one spot, which is a, it's comfortable. There's just no doubt about it. Can you sort of put yourself back in that time? You're there, you're working at a classic car restoration company. You're doing your side projects. You've got your wife, you've got your outdoors activities, no doubt. You've got a, a mountain bike and things like that. What would you have said back then about travel if somebody talked to you uh, and said, uh, what do you think of, you know, packing everything up and heading off on an adventure? What back then, what would you have said? How would you have felt? <laughs> um, I'd probably say you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not something you do, <laughs> you know? I mean, I didn't know anybody that did anything like that at the time. I had some relatives that would go on vacations to Europe and things. And I honestly didn't even have that much interest in even hearing about those trips. If, if I'm completely honest, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't have that interest or even, or even understanding of, of travel, I guess. What was your view on, on foreign countries back then? You mentioned before you weren't even interested in hearing about people's travel, but, but I mean, the idea of what goes on in another country, was there any interest there or how did you feel about it? Um, no, they're really, I would say I was ignorant to what was going on in the rest of the world, if I'm completely honest. Had you ever traveled anywhere outside of the U.S.? Uh, really, really not. Um, I, I honeymooned in Puerto Rico, which was a big stretch, um, out of my comfort zone. And technically that's still the United States. So, um, <laughs> is that like a beach thing? Is it like a beach resort sort of thing that you did? Yeah, it yeah. was a beach resort, which we did do a couple excursions, you know, a hike in a rainforest and, uh, a kayak in a bioluminescent bay and things, which was, nice. was really cool, which I did enjoy, but I was definitely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of that would be amazing. I mean, you know, the, the hike in the rainforest, the kayaking, the bioluminescence, which is a dinoflagellite, the little organisms that light up when they're disturbed in the water. I mean, that is sensational. You know, what, what an amazing experience. Did, did these experiences spark anything in you as far as exploration of places that you haven't been before? Maybe a little. Yeah, the kayaking uh, through the mangroves and the bioluminescence, that was, that was really spectacular. Um, and that, I would say that opened my eyes a bit, for sure. That gets you thinking a little bit about what, what else there might be to explore. And, and when you come back, does it make you sort of look into it a little bit? <laughs> no, really not. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's not no, a wrong answer, Justin. I'm just, I'm very no. curious. Really not. Um, I don't think so. Came back and, and jumped back into the groove, you know. <laughs> right back to work again. And I mean, it's a vacation, right? I mean, that's what you expected. You expected yeah. to go experience something and come back and, and go to work. Yeah, yeah. 
there exactly. was um, there was an event that came up or, or or something that happened with you with your friends. They gave you something that sort of changed things a little bit for you. At least introduced you to something new. Can can you talk about that and how that happened? Sure. Um, so I have a couple of really good friends live here in Colorado and in kind of one of the ski towns. The one friend is actually more of a childhood friend from Minnesota who moved out here as well. And he got into motorcycles a little, little more than I did. He had several bikes, but he bought, he got a V-Strom first um, and started just exploring Colorado and then he uh, bought a DR650 for his girlfriend, which, I mean, this thing was, I'm not sure what this year this was. This was probably 2010 or 2011, maybe. And the spike was a 2003, but it had just been beat. I mean, I don't know what the previous owner did to this bike, but it was hammered. But it ran and it rode and it was cheap. And you know, it's the right size for her to ride and everything to get started on. So the two of them got these bikes and started doing some exploring and some, some riding of the, the fire roads and, and things around Colorado. And I think how it started was, uh, she was ski patrol and she did a ski patrol exchange program. She went to New Zealand for their winter, which is our summer and they said, hey, we've got this bike that's just going to sit all summer. You might as well ride it if you have any interest, you know. So I took him up on it. And he and I rode several times throughout the summer on weekend rides, you know, just short rides. And I was just trying to kind of figure out the whole dual sport thing. And I really enjoyed it. Suddenly I was exploring places that I wouldn't normally go. And I had done some of that with a Jeep that I owned for several years, but the bike, I mean, it's so much smoother and, and faster over the rough terrain than sitting in that Jeep bouncing along at, you know, two miles an hour. I, it kind of, yeah, it did. It did uh, open things up for me. I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. You can explore so much more. You know, there's plenty of roads on Vancouver Island that, that I'm used to riding on my motorcycle. And every now and then we would go out in the Jeep, myself and my wife, and we'd go along so slow and I can't help but keep commenting. I can't believe how long it's taking to get anywhere. I would be going so much <laughs> faster with this. And that way, too, if you, if you go down a road, and you must have found this, if you go down a road and it doesn't pan out, it's no big deal. You turn around and just buzz back out. Whereas if you're in a four-wheel drive, you got to go through that bone jarring ride back over what you just went over to get into to backtrack to get out. It's like, Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, it was a new, new, exciting thing for me. And then I just started, you know, thinking about all the, uh, just all the forest service roads and everything in Colorado. I mean, there's so much here to explore. And, but, you know, it was temporary, you know, she was gone for the summer. So I was just borrowing this bike. It wasn't until the following year that things really started to change. Um, What happened? They decided that they should get her a, a newer low mileage DR650 in much better condition. So they asked 
if I wanted the bike, they told me they'd give me the bike. They give it to you. <laughs> they wow. give me the bike. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not really good at receiving gifts like that, but um you know, I I did some things for them. I was um <laughs> I, I I I was building custom skis, uh alpine skis at the time, and so I did end up trading some skis. I, I built them some skis after the fact, but yeah, so I got this bike and I think it was really just a ploy, uh, for my friends to get me to come riding with them <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> so you went out and you did even more riding at that point. Yeah. So I started riding more weekend trips and then, um, the following summer, a whole group of us rode the Colorado backcountry discovery route. And that was really the start of something <laughs> for me to have all your gear on the bike and go from one place to another, go over these mountain passes. You know, you're not just doing this out and back trail or something. You're moving every day. You're setting up camp. You're tearing down camp. You're loading everything on your bike and you're going somewhere else. And that entire route went through places that I'd never been in this state that I've lived in for 12 or 13 years at that point. So with the experience on the BDR, is it travel that comes up in your mind here or is, or is it adventure riding? You know, the, the, these incredible rides that you can do, you don't have to go that far for. I think it's just adventure riding. Um, I just, after doing that first one, I just wanted to do more of them. And the year after that, we did do kind of the same group of riders. We did the Utah BDR and it just kind of compounded it too. I just, <laughs> the more I did, the more I wanted to do, right? So in your words, you were hooked. That's, that's what you had said. I was hooked. Yeah. And I guess the, the following trip I took was the big hook. I should probably mention that I was newly divorced Whoa, um, that happened fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it the bike? No, but I can't say the bike didn't contribute. It didn't help. Yeah. It, it didn't help. It may have been the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know, but um, I don't think it was that significant. There were other issues. Um, the marriage fell apart. Um, I guess that would have been the end of 2014. Um, and I started riding a lot more in 2015 doing rides. We have a local group and, and yeah, I just, I had more time then. So, and that was kind of my therapy, honestly. You mean because you're divorced, you had more time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're riding with your friends on the same bike. Is it the same bike you've kept? This is the same old DR. Yeah. <laughs> I, I slowly put more money into it and more money into it and rebuilt, you know, I could probably fill two pages of modifications <laughs> to this bike. Um, Around this time, you've, you've got some changes happening at work. What happened there? Yeah, so I had a, I had a really bad month in, in 2014 with some... But the same time my wife left, the company I'd been working for for 12 or 13 years at that point got bought out. And um, 
had knee surgery all within a month. <laughs> you had knee surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so so th this is back when your, your wife leaves, your company gets bought yeah. out and you have to go in for knee surgery. This is all fairly close together. All within a month. Yeah. A month. I think. Yeah. <laughs> you decide to make a major change here. How does that happen? Yeah. So several things just started kind of falling into place, I think, for this to happen. Our, our BDR kind of group, our, our kind of annual, it seemed like an annual trip at this time, was not going to do a BDR trip that year. And I decided to do a solo trip. And rather than a BDR, I, tried, I decided to ride the Continental Divide route from where I live to Canada. And that, that is what really got me hooked, that trip. Being on my own, on the bike, with the freedom to make my own decisions and go wherever I wanted and camp wherever I wanted and, and just the complete freedom you get from, from that kind of travel. And I did actually cross into Canada on that trip and that was a huge deal for me. Um, I'd never crossed a border before. Granted, the, the border between U.S. and Canada is, is pretty benign. But, <laughs> but you're crossing um, with a motorcycle, and, I mean, yeah, everything's yeah. different. Yeah, and I was far from home, man. I, yeah. was, I, it was, I was loving it. And so that was a big thing that happened for me that um, really got me thinking. And I think it was right after I got back from that trip I found out about a Horizons Unlimited meet in Grant, Colorado. I think it was like the following weekend or two weekends later or something. And I went to that and I met some travelers there and talked to them. And, and I think those two events were really what got me thinking about doing a bigger trip. And at the same time, things were really kind of digressing um, with my career. I wasn't happy with the way things were going with the business. And things just started kind of, you know, falling into place. And I started looking at the real estate market. I'd owned my home for almost 10 years at that point and started looking at the opportunities I had and kind of this newfound freedom you know, I'd been single for a couple of years at that point and just the realization I could do whatever I wanted. I had the means to do it. And if I'm ever going to do it, the time is now. Mm. I assume that you mentioned about going to, um, to Horizons Unlimited. You, you mingle with people there. You probably run into people there who've told you their story. They sold everything and they hit the road, and they tell you the adventure. You already have a taste for adventure on the motorcycle now with the trips you've been doing. Did, did that happen? Did, the, did those things happen to sort of come together to really strengthen your feeling for getting out there? They did, yeah. They absolutely did. Interestingly enough, though, I did meet one young guy there at the HU meet. He was from Europe. He had sold everything. He flew to, I believe he flew to New York and bought a, a bike and was traveling around North America on a ridiculously low budget. I think his budget was like $7 a day. And that was, that was everything. For the U.S. And that's incredible. Yeah. 
I don't know you how know, you can even do that. I, I just just I, quickly off the top he, of my mind, I don't know how you could do it. <laughs> I don't. He was he was to the point he was he was limiting uh, his speed on the bike because of the fuel mileage. So he wouldn't go more than he had it figured out as like forty two miles an hour or something ridiculous like this. Right. And you know he'd he'd only go so many miles a day and and he actually told me do not do it he wasn't enjoying it well i, I mean okay wait a second 7 dollars a day you can sort of get an idea of why he might not be right. enjoying it that's a lot I of mean, restrictions this was, this was extreme yeah and that did make me think the other way a little bit so what was he there for was he there to tell people hey look don't don't make a mistake and listen to these people <laughs> Um, I forget. I think he actually gave a presentation on, um, exercises to do to, to keep your body kind of in shape while you're, while you're traveling on a bike and some things like that. And I don't, I think he just maybe happened to be in the area. Um, I'm not entirely sure to be honest. (laughs) Well, it might've been free camping for him too. He's working on that type of a budget. Absolutely. It could have been the draw of the free camping, but did you actually sit down and talk with him when he's telling you this? Cause that's alarming. You have this idea and then somebody tells you that. Did you sit down with him and sort of like glean more information or did you just sort of walk away at that point? Um, I didn't talk to him extensively. I, I kind of asked him about how he was camping and, and things like, things of that nature and eating. And I mean, he's eating just, you know, like a, like a squirrel, you know, just like nuts and berries, you know, sort of stuff. Right. Like it was just so low budget. It was crazy, but you know, it kind of made me think about what was possible also. And honestly, looking back, I wished I would have talked to more people at that meet. Um, I've always been pretty shy and kind of introverted and I don't feel like I took full advantage of, of that meat. Um, I think I could have got more information. Then you went home, you're looking at the price of selling your house and seeing what sort of profit there may be in there for you. At some point you take the plunge. Do you remember the moment when you decided this is it or, or was there a moment? Um, I was slowly working up to the idea, but I remember, um, I spent, I spent that Christmas with my parents, um, as I usually try to do. And I, I told them at Christmas that I'm leaving my job, I'm selling my house and I'm going to, and I'm going to travel on my bike. (laughs) So that was a big, that was a huge moment. Is this a test? Like, is, are you testing the waters here to see how ridiculous this sounds when you tell them? Um, or was, or was a decision made at that point? No, I think, I think it was, it was totally made at that point. Um, and in fact, it might've been made before then, but I was hesitant to, to tell my parents because I was not, um, looking forward to what the reaction was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually really, it, it, my mom's reaction really surprised me. My dad's was exactly how I anticipated. (laughs) What did your dad say? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Not a word. And my mom said, I think that's fantastic. And it blew me away that she thought that. And I don't know if, I think she, I think she, she genuinely did. It wasn't just to support my decision, but. 
and my dad, I think, you know, after a month or two went by where they knew I was selling stuff and starting this whole preparation to leave, I think my dad realized I was serious and, and then he was on board a hundred percent and that surprised me as well. Um, and I, I was just so grateful for how supportive my parents became at that point. You're selling off all, all your possessions, like, you know, yard selling it or selling it on, you know, on, on ads and things like that to, to raise money, to liquidate everything. I mean, you're, you're serious about this. You're getting rid of everything. Yeah, almost everything. Um, I, I kept my tools and things that I'd amassed over the years because I knew at one point I'd have to go back to work and that's, you know, I needed those tools to do the things I knew how to do to make money. So I did end up keeping, um, all that kind of stuff, but everything else, yeah, I was selling on, I think it was like a six month process of selling stuff on Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. And Mm -hmm. my parents came out to visit and help me do a garage sale and just trying to get rid of everything. And I, I started thinking about, all the stuff I could sell and I would think about it as, you know, if I can get, you know, so much money for this, that's just another day on the road or another two days on the road. And so I would look at something like, Oh, I can get, you know, $20 for that. Oh, that might get me through a day or part of a day or something, you know? So I started looking at everything that way. (laughs) What was your plan? You know, I didn't have much of a plan. Um, That trip to Canada, when I took that trip, I just wanted to keep going. I really just wanted to keep going. And I think that's where the idea came from to go to Alaska. I don't know if there was really another reason. Uh, My parents had had gone there on a trip um, they did a, a really fantastic trip to Alaska for their 40th uh, wedding anniversary. And I was looking at all the photos with them and everything. And I thought, you know, yeah, I, I got to go up there and see that. And I thought that was the perfect way to do it. But I didn't have any plan beyond that. I mean, I remember telling people, you know, when they asked, I said, well, Hopefully by the time I get to Alaska, I'll come up with a plan. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're what, 35 years old at this point? Yeah, I was 35. You're 35. You you left, um, you you said you'd, I think you, you told me before you worked at your career for 15 years at that point. You sold your house, you sold your truck, you sold your, all, all your belongings. There had to be some idea of how much time, at least some rough idea in your head, how much time you wanted to spend on the road because I mean, otherwise you could have kept your house and went for a couple of months maybe and, and then come back home. But there must have been something. Yeah. And I think, so there was other reasons for that too. I just, I was looking for a fresh start and I, th- I thought that I wanted to move somewhere and I didn't know where. And so I thought I'd use this trip to explore Montana and Idaho and Washington and Oregon, thinking that maybe I'd find, I'd happen across some place that I just would love to live. 
and the mountains were important to me because skiing was important and the things that I like to do here in Colorado was, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll spend some time kind of scoping out those areas. And, um, I thought maybe a year at the most on the road, like I said, I really didn't have a good plan for how this was all going to pan out. I thought I'd hit some national parks and just kind of explore and, a big reason why I sold the house and everything was I didn't want to give myself an easy way out to just return back. Um, and I had to force myself just out of my comfort zone and that was the way to do it. So it almost begins as um, a bit of a relocation thing, you know, a fresh start you mentioned. So you're going out and you're, you're checking out other places. There's no real intent here to leave the United States necessarily. I mean, no. other than maybe into no. Canada as you go to Alaska. I mean, well, but, yeah, you got to go through Canada to get to Alaska. Right. But, but, but I mean, other, that was it. Other than that though, I mean, you're sort of looking at, at exploring the U S your own country. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. You made it to Alaska. Made it to Alaska. Um, unfortunately it was a little later than I had hoped. Um, it, it it surprised me how much work it took to 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 get rid of everything and get the house sold and everything. Even though the house sold real quickly because the market was crazy, but it's kind of funny. I the day I left town was the day I closed on my house. I literally slept in my sleeping bag on the floor of my bedroom in my house with a completely empty house with my bike in the garage loaded, ready to go. And I left the house, rode to the closing, signed all the papers. I rode to my job. I turned in my keys and met my parents for lunch and left town. Wow. <laughs> That's like a movie. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a- it was crazy. And, you know, that day was actually a lot harder than what I ever anticipated. I mean, there were so many mixed emotions with that. Um, what do you feel? You know, I, it was everything, you know, here I'm leaving this place I've lived and worked for 15 years. You know, the shop I worked in, I had five coworkers that were close friends that I've worked with, you know, some of them for 15 years, a long time friends and, um, everything I knew I'm leaving. I mean, I was actually crying in my helmet (laughs) when I left town, when I rode out of town. I believe it. Um, but at the same time I was super excited for, for what was to come. And I just took off up the Canyon towards Rocky Mountain National Park and just started making my way northwest. And it it just, you know, kind of as I rode, there was just a massive weight lifted off my shoulders and just that freedom of riding the bike uh, with, with your gear and everything you own at that point, almost on the bike. And just, I can't even fully describe it. There was, there was so many emotions and feelings going on that day. When you made it to Alaska, you know, that's a huge um, sort of a landmark for you, I, I guess. You make a decision there to keep going. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah. You know, I, again, I was kind of really just forced to make a decision because here, like I said, I left later than I wanted to leave. I got up to Alaska. I spent four weeks riding every road in Alaska I could possibly find. And <laughs> 95% of it was in the rain. <laughs> it was just, it turned out to be the, the rainiest year they've ever had. <laughs> it was just miserable conditions. Oh man. It, it, I had some rough days at, uh, I even got into snow. I, I attempted to ride to Prudhoe Bay and, and got caught in a blizzard on, on Attigan Pass trying to cross the Brooks Range. And I ended up turning around because I just couldn't make it. It was too late. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where the locals were saying, you need to get out of here or you're going to be stuck here all winter. So that was the choice I had to make. Either I was going to spend the the winter in Alaska or I needed to ride South and, and, you know, Alaska turned out to be so much more expensive food and fuel wise. And I was camping most of the time, but, but there was once I got a hotel and I was like, Holy cow, I cannot afford to do this, you know? So, so the choice was to go South. And so I, I started heading down the coast Back down through Canada, through the U.S. Yep, took a different route to see new things. I always like to make loops. I don't like to go back down the same road I came as much as I do a loop. So exploring new roads um, on my way down, meandered down the coast. Actually ended up riding the Washington BDR as I came back into the States and Mm. got on the coast and started heading down the coast and just kept going. Eventually, you get to the Mexico border. That had to be a big deal for you. It was. Um, at this point, I had a few people, you know, suggest that I, I should go to Baja or I should go to Mexico. And I, I, was, I was extremely apprehensive. As I think I mentioned, my, my Spanish class in high school was... Uh, <laughs> borderline failures. I knew zero Spanish and yeah, I was really apprehensive, but I think a few, a few friends and a few people convinced me and really, you know, now I was getting into November. It made sense to go further South. So yeah, I crossed into Baja and (laughs) it's actually a really funny story. Um, I went over to Tecate, which is, I found out was a really simple, uh, border crossing. And I expected the border crossing to be more like the U S Canadian border crossings. And I got there and I pull up and the gates open and there's a green light and there's nobody there. We're going to take just a short break while I tell you about a couple of things. When we come back after a little while, Dustin recalls a story of finding himself on a lonely road in Mexico and meeting up with a gun-wielding driver that's screaming demands at him that he can't even understand. Stay with us. 
Heidi and David Winters um, developed through necessity, actually, while they were on their round-the-world trip uh, riding two up. Yes, they're riders just like you. Uh, they poured their heart and soul into this. And, and in the end, this is something that has changed the lives of, uh, I don't know, countless riders uh, that are they're using the Atlas Throttle Lock now. Now, I remember one time riding across Canada, going through the prairies, and it, w- it was beautiful weather. I mean, everything was great. It was really stunning country to look around. But I mean, it's like when you spot a tree, it would take three days to pass the tree. It was that flat. Okay, slightly embellished. But anyway, I remember desperately needing a break from my riding position. There wasn't anything really wrong. I was just tired of being in that riding position and having loads of miles to go that I wanted to cover. I didn't have the Atlas throttle lock. I would have loved to have had it because uh, your throttle hand just gets sort of tired of being in that exact same position mile after mile. Now, I did have another style of lock that frustrated me to no end because it just kept backing off gradually from vibration. So, it was, an, it was just an exercise in frustration. Well, now I have the Atlas throttle lock and it never fails me. This thing is made like a Swiss watch. It clamps onto your handlebar in a few minutes, but it feels like it was designed for your bike. There's two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage. They offer firm, positive feedback when you press them. And there's no mistake about what you're doing with this thing. And when you need to slightly adjust your speed, you just simply twist the throttle. It holds the new position. You want to slow it down a bit. You back the throttle off. It holds the new position. This thing is a beautiful addition to your motorcycle. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops makes all kinds of lighting products, especially designed for us riders. From auxiliary lighting to LED headlights to specialty things like their Evo safety turn signals. These I love. Um, I have them on my bike. The Evo safety turn signal inserts, um, they, they replace your stock turn signals front and back. And, you know, most most stock to turn signals, they only come on when you put your signal on. They're not actually driving lights. So these become driving lights in the front. They're super bright white driving lights. In the back, they're red. Uh, in the front, they turn orange and become signals when you put your signal on. And in the back, they also signal, but when you they, uh, they signal in red and they come on with your brakes and they are stunningly bright. Like talk about seeing, being seen. These things punch holes through the darkness and they command attention in the daytime. So making drivers aware of you is obviously a huge part of road safety. The Evo safety turn signal inserts. I'm going to give you the website for it. While you're there at the website, have a look at the Cyclops Adventure Sports Aurora 2-inch auxiliary lights. These little things, these are small enough to fit just about anywhere on any bike because a lot of bikes you have trouble fitting the lights in. These little things will fit in anywhere and they are powerhouses. Great for daytime awareness and stunning on a dark road. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. When it comes to being connected to your bike, your foot pegs are paramount. Obviously, how could you ride without foot pegs? So if they're so important, why do motorcycles come from the factory with such wimpy pegs? Well, it comes down to economics. And to be fair, the average motorcycle that's sold, very few are lucky enough to get a serious rider as its owner, but you are a serious rider and you need serious foot pegs. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs ranging from the extra wide and large ADV-1s and ADV-2s on down to the core Enduros. Now, these pegs are all made from CAST-certified 17-4 stainless steel. They're all built in the USA, and they're all warranted for life. And that warranty ought to give you a hint to the quality. 
They aren't just another foot peg. They're top-of-the-line pegs, yet affordable for the average rider. Their website is imsproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. So I rode through, and... I get through and I'm just in town and I'm looking around like, where's the checkpoint? And, you know, it was at, it was kind of like sensory overload for me too, because all of a sudden, I mean, you're in a Mexican border town, you know, there's all these different smells, all the signs are different. I mean, I noticed first thing, the stop sign, you know, wasn't even on the right side. It was on the left side, like in the middle. And like, there's all this crazy stuff going on, which, you know, so different to me. And I was, I kind of freaked out and I was like, well, I'm going to keep going until, you know, I get to the checkpoint. Well, I just kept riding. (laughs) (laughs) I never found the checkpoint. There wasn't one. I had gone through it and I did not realize that, it's totally up to you to go find customs and, and, and immigration and everything. And so I just kept riding and I rode like, I don't know, 180 kilometers into Baja without ever checking into the country. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh man, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, you know, it was getting to be time where I needed to set up camp for the night. And I'm like, I didn't want to ride all the way back to that town. Like I was just kind of freaking out. <laughs> um, and I found this little winery where I asked, uh, this little vineyard where I asked if I could camp in the, in the orchard there. And, and which was a struggle because I thought, Oh, I'll use Google translate and yeah, no signal. So that didn't work. So I'm oh, just wow. doing hand signals, you know, <laughs> which I, I just thought maybe being that close to the border, I would find somebody that would, would know some English, but that wasn't the case. So, um, yeah, we got through that. I, I, I gave him a couple bucks to camp in their orchard there in the, in the vineyard. And, um, that was a, that was a sleepless night. I didn't know what to do. Because you're, you're well aware that you, you have to, you have to get it checked in. You, you're, you understand that. Right. And so, yeah, I'm laying there and like, I'm, I'm an illegal alien in this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like this is not a position I want to be in. And actually at some point in the, in the night I had, checked my phone and somehow I had just a little bit of service and I got on there and I did some research and I found somebody saying that you could, you could go to Ensenada and check in and get your, get your tourist card, which I guess I didn't need a a TIP there for Baja, but, um, but you could check in with immigration there. TIP is temporary import permit for your motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, in Baja, you technically don't need it. It's kind of a free zone, but you do, you do need the, the FMM, the, the tourist card. So 
somehow I figured that out like in the middle of the night or like three in the morning or something laying in my tent. I had just enough signal to, to figure this out. And, um, I think I did actually get a couple hours of sleep and I went to Ensenada and I, I got checked in the next day. Then I was, I felt a lot better about it. And, uh, and now you're, you're, you're a real traveler. I mean, you've, you've just crossed this, this border taking you into Mexico this opened a whole new world for you, really. <laughs> it was. It was. It was very, very different. When I was in Baja, I met this retired Canadian uh, named Guy from British Columbia who was traveling by himself on a DR650, and we were actually going to ride together. But I got uh, I got Montezuma's revenge that night from our dinner. I, I didn't know any better not to eat the salad. And I still give guy a hard time to this day for letting me eat the salad. Cause he <laughs> knew better, but he's like, he says, I didn't know you. <laughs> I thought you knew something I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in really rough shape, uh, that next day. And, uh, like I tell him, he left me to die there in my tent on the beach. And so he, we he left, <laughs> he left. He's like, I'm going to continue on. We exchanged information and, um, thinking we'd, we'd catch up later sometime. And he took off. And, um, so over Christmas I talked with him and he, he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to ride down towards Puerto Vallarta to visit my mom. His mom would spend uh, winter down there. She was also from BC, so she'd snowbird down there. And he said, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride my bike down there and just go visit her." And asked if I'd want to go along. He's been down there quite a few times, and I thought, "Oh, it'd be a great opportunity to kind of go with him and and kind of get ushered into the country more or less." So after Christmas, I met up with him um, south of Phoenix, and we took off riding together down towards Puerto Vallarta. Uh, which was really nice. It was great to have a traveling partner. He kind of knew where he was going and things like that and had some friends. We got down there and we we did some riding around, some day rides up in the mountains and things. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to head back to Arizona. In the meantime, we were staying in this campground and I had met all these expats and uh, Canadians that were down there for the winter. Uh, one couple in particular I had talked with extensively about all their travels all throughout Mexico in a camper van. They'd traveled around Mexico for for many years. And they're telling me about all these places. Oh, you should go see this. You should go here. You should go see that. And guys talking about going back north. And and I was I hated to do it, but I said, guy, I'd it's winter up there. I see no reason to go back. I just have to go see some of these places these people are telling me about. And so we split ways there and I, I took off solo to the South and, and he went back to Arizona and I ended up doing a loop. It's like a three month loop through, through Mexico actually went into Guatemala and, up through Belize and then into Yucatan and then, then all the way back up through Mexico. And I decided to head, head back up to the States for the summer. What's your, your travel style as you're going along there, as you're exploring in the South, you're still trying to camp everywhere. And, and what are you doing? Like how, how do you come into a place and explore? 
Um, mostly camping in Central America, Mexico. I did stay in some hotels. Just you could find some, you know, extremely cheap hotels um, and some hostels. I was definitely doing it on the cheap. But uh, actually, I had discovered the the iOverlander app by then, and that was extremely helpful to me. I would get on there. I would look at some of the, you know, things people would put on there, whether they'd be attractions or places to stay or where there was fuel or whatever. Um, and I would look at that. And when I would get Wi-Fi, I'd, I'd hop on, on Google or something and just search kind of the area things to see. And I really, I didn't have any plan. I, if I talked to somebody that told me about a place to check out or a place to go, I had no reason not to. So I'd had that direction. And <laughs> I mean, it was really just, I just meandered around through the country. I mean, some days I would do very little kilometers, you know, it was, I was just winging it. <laughs> I was kind, just winging it. What kind of things do you see? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, a, in, a in nature, um, the mountains. Um, so those types of things would attract me. Uh, I went and saw, uh, like a monarch butterfly preserve where the, where the butterflies winter, um, you know, you hike up to this forest where there's just, you know, millions of monarch butterflies hanging from the trees. You know, they've flown there from the States and Canada for the winter. That was an incredible experience. That's um, amazing. I, I found a place um, near Puerto Escondido. I ended up helping release baby sea turtles into the ocean. That was a fantastic experience for me. Um, I saw volcanoes, I saw ruins, I did, um, went to, you know, Palenque and Tikal and Teotihuacan outside of Mexico City, um, down in Guatemala to, uh, Lake Aritlan, um, you know, in the Yucatan, Cenotes, um, just, you know, just some fantastic mountain riding through, through kind of central Mexico. Uh, the cave of the swallows was, was kind of a cool experience. Waterfalls. I'm always a sucker for waterfalls. I'll go out of my way to find those. Um, just, you know, everything I could, everything I heard about that sounded interesting. I just go for it. And I shouldn't say everything because it would take an absolute lifetime to see the things in Mexico. I just feel like you could spend your entire life exploring Mexico alone, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, big variety of things. And it's just fantastic. Before you left, were there people when you told, when you started talking about your plans and you're, you're heading off, you're selling everything and going off. Um, were there, were there, and, and I know you weren't talking about going South at that point, but were there people that sort of warned you about travel if you ended up going to foreign countries or did you have that sort of mindset that, cause I'm thinking of that crossing into Mexico and entering a whole new world. Was it the fear before you got there? Um, 
there there were some mentions of that beforehand. Yeah, like yeah, like you just said, I I had no plans to go to, to Mexico originally. It's funny. I remember one of one of my friends in the the adventure rider group before I left told me I should go to Tierra del Fuego and. I didn't even know what that was. (laughs) Um, But uh, um, there was some fear. I know my mom was definitely nervous, you know, and I'm sure my dad was too. And there was some people, you know, that would say, oh, you know, you're going to get killed if you go to Mexico and, or, you know, all these bad things robbed and, and whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't so... I didn't, I wasn't so scared about that. I think I was more apprehensive of just the different language and, and just everything's different and how I was going to adapt to that. I think was more my fear. How many times did you get mugged or uh, held up? (laughs) Um, never did. I, I did come, I did have one incident. I wish I could say I never had an incident, but, uh, I did have one that was, was a close call. What do you mean? What was that? That was, it was actually when I was headed back North, uh, I'd come through Durango and was riding the, I was planning to ride the Espinazo del Diablo, the kind of famous motorcycle road between Durango and Mazatlan. And, I'd met uh expat there in Durango and he was telling me, Oh yeah, you gotta take take the old road and this was on a Sunday. He said Monday there'll be nobody on it. Usually the weekends are full of bikers and everything. And so I went and did that and and I was on the road. There was nobody on this road. And I came around a corner, one of the, you know, hundreds of curves. And there was a little bit of a straight shot and there was this, this Chevy truck on the side of the road that pulled out in front of me just as I came around, just after I came around the corner and it's going really slow. And I remember it clear as day is it was a brand new Chevy truck. It had Texas license plate and it had a, one of those little license plate frames that said uh, U S army West point. So I, you know, it was going super slow and I pulled up behind it and I thought, ah, oh, you know, it's a, a snowbird down here just looking at the scenery because you have just these expansive views on either side of the road, you know, these these big valleys and canyons off this road. And and uh, so we get to the next straightaway and I go to pass him and he moves over and blocks me from passing him. And at first I thought, well, you know, he's, maybe he's just looking out the window, you know, got distracted, was looking at the view and just kind of accidentally moved over. Cause then he moved back in his lane. So I go to pass him again and it's this young Mexican and he pulls a gun out. And so suddenly <laughs> I've got this gun pointed at me and he's yelling at me. Now you've come alongside him, I gather you're, you're sort of beside I'm, him. I'm you- alongside him. Just, just, like next to his rear wheel probably. Mm-hmm. And he's yelling and I've got earplugs in, you know, I'm, we're going down the road, not very fast, but, um, 
and he's yelling in Spanish, you know, at this point I had picked up some Spanish along the way, but not enough to figure out what he's yelling. I couldn't even hear him well enough, but and he's waving the gun at me. He's waving me to pull over basically. And I hit my brakes. I pulled behind him and then he pulled back into his lane, but he didn't stop. But his hand that had the gun in it, came back out the window and he's waving me to come up to the truck. And so at that point, I just hit the gas full throttle around him and I made it to that first curve. I mean, the curves aren't very far apart on that road. And I made it to that first curve. And as I was going around that curve, I looked over my shoulder and he had the gun out the window pointed in my direction. And I just went around the curve and I... I rode as hard as I could for the next hour. <laughs> and I knew there was no way he was going to catch me. I mean, in a pickup truck, I'm on a bike and we're on a curvy mountain road, you know? But, yeah. Um, yeah, that was really scary. And, um, you know, I talked to some locals later, said, you know, they said it, it's a young guy probably trying to get in with cartel, just doing something stupid in a stolen truck. And they were all really sorry to hear that happened um, because I had nothing, nothing but good experiences and the friendliest, nicest people um, throughout that entire trip. And I was really disappointed that that incident happened because now I can't say that, you know, I never had a single issue, but um, I think it was just kind of a rare thing. Mm-hmm. But it did scare me. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a scary incident. That's got to be tough to camp that night after that happens. You know, I went to a campground. Um, actually, Guy and I had stayed at on the way south. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was a campground with a locked gate. And, and so I was, you know, I felt pretty safe there. And it was, secure. I went several, I went for several hours you know, and on different roads since that incident. So I, I knew I was fine, but Mm. yeah, I was shook up for sure. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, roughly, where did you go? Just give a sort of an overview of where you went. Um, well, basically after, after that loop, um, I spent the summer riding all over, all over the U S up back through, I visited people back in Colorado. I went, up to Minnesota and spent some time with my parents there. Um, I did some riding. I did the Trans Wisconsin Adventure Loop and then uh, or Adventure Trail and then the uh, Wisconsin Michigan up through the UP and down through Michigan. I kind of skirted the Great Lakes um, up to New York. Honestly, the best part for me was um, I did ride all the way to to Shawaya actually with, with the retired Canadian guy. Um, after that whole loop on my own, I had, I had a taste, but I, I kind of just decided that I didn't really want to do it solo. So I reached out to guy again and, uh, I asked him if he wanted to go to Argentina and he said, well, he said, you know, I got to think about that for a couple of days, he said, I, I had wanted to do that. And then he had seen this, this documentary 
somebody had, had ridden, ridden South and they were held hostage in, in, uh, Columbia. And it was kind of this rough story. And that had turned guy off from ever doing that trip. Is that Glenn Hegstead's story? Um, I'm not even a hundred percent sure. Um, he's from California. Yeah, and that sounds like, well, I mean, it could be, that, that's the one I know. We, we had Glenn on the show some years back. Um, he was, he uh, escaped and then he did the trip again. Yeah. 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 That's gotta be him. Yeah. yeah. He wrote a book about it. Oh, I should check that out. Oh, well, that's, I think that's actually the book that guy, I think it's the book that guy read and terror on two wheels, I think is what it is by Glenn Hex. Yeah. And we've that done a, rings a bell. We've done an episode. I'm, I'm going to put a, a link in the show notes to, to the, um, for this episode to that one so that anybody's listening can go back and, and listen to Glenn's story. It's, it's, it's riveting. Perfect. I, I'll have to check that one out. I've listened to almost all the episodes here in the last couple of years, but the older ones I've missed. So. I've actually recently been going back to listen to older ones, but I'll <laughs> nice. check that out. So anyway, Guy uh, guy was put off by that, and he had decided he wouldn't ever do that trip. So he, he said, you know, I really have to think about this. But he called me back two days later. He said, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we – and with Guy, Guy only has six months um, that he can be out of Canada – for some certain reasons, uh, kind of a quicker trip, but we start in November and we actually spent five months traveling together all the way to Ushuaia. And, um, how did you do the Darien? Uh, the stall rat. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's been mentioned on this show numerous times, I'm sure. Um, fantastic way to do it. Unfortunately, not an option anymore, but, uh, so yeah, we had a fantastic experience um, on that trip, and he actually sold his bike. He left in Punta Arena, Chile, and I I traveled around Argentina for another month solo after he left before uh, flying my bike home uh, from Buenos Aires uh, back to back to Denver, Colorado. So you you flew? Was the flight expensive for your bike? Not as expensive as I anticipated. I knew it would would be expensive. Um, it was, I think it was $1,600, which mm. I thought was pretty reasonable. I mean, some of the flights for myself I was looking at were $1,300, $1,400. So when you get back home, cause you, you come back a couple of years in the roads, especially going to Swaya, you've experienced so much. Do you think, see things differently when you get home and what do you do? Yeah, I really do. Um, I think coming home, coming back was really the hardest part of the entire trip. Um, I mean, the biggest culture shock I experienced was coming back. (laughs) You know, as you go south, it's kind of gradual as the culture changes and things. And then you just hop on a plane and you fly into the States. And it's, man, is eye-opening and... Yeah, after everything I'd seen and experienced, come back to the land of plenty and excess, I feel like. Um, and I wasn't really sure, you know, what I was going to do. And, and when, I, when I flew back, I was kind of ready to be done. Um, I felt like I had enough. And I got back to Denver 
and I had to wait a couple of days for my bike to show up. And, uh, so that was just a couple of days of limbo, but man, as soon as I rode my bike out of the air freight, uh, warehouse there, I was, I was like, man, I could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also, I, I had set, I had kind of set a limit for how much money I had wanted to spend. And I was at the point where I needed to get back to work doing something. Um, so I'm, I kind of meandered around. I did some rides. I, I stayed with some friends for, for a couple months and then, uh, started talking with a couple of friends and ex coworkers while I was gone on my trip, the company that I worked for closed. And so everybody disbanded and one of the guys I worked with kind of bought the equipment and continued his own shop. And then I had another friend and previous coworker that had done that earlier. Um, so they both had shops, both in the same area back in, in Loveland. And I started talking with them and I thought, man, you know, Loveland's a pretty great area. I mean, the climate is great. I've got a lot of good friends here and roots here. And even after everything I've seen and places I've been, I, I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't mind being back here. So I started working, I started out doing contract work back on classic cars, but then discovered there was a, there was a demand for my paintwork that hadn't really been filled since I left. And I started my own business doing high end paint jobs on classic cars again. <laughs> you said the trip changed you forever. What do you mean by that? I think mentally, um, I'm much more positive thinking than I think I've ever been. Um, I'm more open. I've always been like, I think I mentioned earlier, just shy and introverted. I, I'm more willing to talk to people, more outgoing, um, more optimistic. I've seen you know, people, some of the happiest people I've ever met had next to nothing. And, you know, I used to be more materialistic, like so much of us are, I guess. Now I've realized you don't need all this stuff and it kind of, your stuff kind of ends up owning you almost. And I also used to be a lot more stressed with, with my work, working on these high-end cars and these uh, high profile customers and things. I would be stressed all the time. I don't get stressed anymore. I just, it's not worth it. I've, I've, I don't know what changed, but I've, I've lost that. But why, uh, how can you not get stressed? <laughs> well, at the end, I mean, not that it's not important and it's not, um, you know, I want to do right by the customer and everything like that. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a car, it's a material thing with, with excess income. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to put the wrong light on that, but you know, I can fix anything that, that goes wrong. I'm, I'm in control of, especially now with me just having my own shop. I mean, I call the shots and and there's no need to get stressed about it either either 
it's something I can do something about and I'll do something about it or it's out of my control and I, and there's nothing I can do about it and there's no reason to worry about it. But I've never looked at things that way before. Will you do it again? I don't know if I'll do it again for, for as long as two years, but, um, yeah, I think bigger trips or decent sized trips are in my future. Whether I go back to traveling full time, I don't know. I don't know what, what the future is going to hold, but, um, in the meantime, I'm, I've got some good riding buddies here. Um, but there's always that pull of, of the road and I do dream about it and, and it's kind of funny. I listen to this show all the time and, and some days I listen to an episode and, and it inspires me so much that I, I'm, I get done with the episode and I'm ready to walk out and <laughs> get on the bike and go. And other days it's, it's almost like it just helps me get through the day. Like, Oh, that was, that was a great story and I appreciate it for what it is. And, and I can get through my work day and go to work tomorrow, maybe listen to another episode tomorrow, but (laughs) it's funny how that works. Do you feel you have the ability to walk away right now? I mean, is that, is that, is that something you have right now? Um, you know, I do feel a little bit tied down right now because I have this shop now, um, that I lease and, you know, suddenly I have all these bills again, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, at the same time, I know I can do it. I know what it took to do the first time and it's a whole lot easier now. And there are a lot of days, Jim, that I, uh, I just want to sell everything and take off again. (laughs) (laughs) Not that, I mean, it's not like I have a bad day and I'm just like, ah, I want to leave. I I can't even explain it. There's some days everything could be going well. And I just feel this pull to, to hop on the bike and, and take off. That was Dustin Neer, classic car painter and fabricator, and of course, motorcyclist from his home in Loveland, Colorado. We've got uh, plenty of photos of Dustin and his adventures, the adventures we talked about here in the show notes for this episode. As well, we've got the link in there to the Glenn Hegstead episode that we mentioned. If you'd like to hear that one, um, that's all in the show notes for this episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about 
wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, you, the listener, thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. Don't sit back and think that everybody does it because it's a very, very small percentage of listeners that actually support the show. We would really appreciate it if you drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support and see what we have to offer. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker and a Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's our other show that we do. Separate subscription. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, we, we do that once a month. And while you're at the website, you can find the information about Raw as well as every show that we do has show notes, photographs of the people that we've talked to and the things that we've spoken about. Drop by the website, have a look around. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and being a part of this. And I'll talk to you next week. Oh, wait, one other thing. We would love to get a five-star review from you on iTunes or wherever you're finding your podcast. That helps other people find the show. So five-star review. If you can do it, I'd really appreciate it. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 